Tech, hi, pleased to meet you. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? Yeah, very well, thank you very much. Whereabouts are you based right now? Uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Sunny, beautiful, warm. It's it's great outside. I hate to rub it into the rest of the world, but it is what I where I live. So. I was actually going to ask you what they like there, but um, yeah, no, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I am very jealous. Tay, I was just as I do with with anybody I talk to is is just look through um, about them uh, on their websites and things, and, and to be honest, there is so much that you have achieved and done in your lifetime. I mean, it's quite incredible. It's um, so, you. I, really, I really don't know where to start. <laughs> I, th I think maybe, maybe your name, Tech. Oh. How, did you, how did you get, I assume it's a nickname. It is. It yes. is, yeah. yeah. How did you get a nickname, Tech? <laughs> it has nothing to do with technology or technical diving. Perfect. So I get that all the time. Um, there's no H on the end. It's just T-E-C. And what it is, Jeff, it's just my initials, Thomas E. Clark. Um, and the funny story behind it is, is that I'm a junior. So my father was Thomas E. Clark Sr. I'm Thomas E. Clark Jr. And um, my mom uh, divorced my father when I was young. And she said, I don't want to call him by that name. And it was my uncle that said, well, why don't you call him by his initials, Tech? And it stuck from that point forward. That's, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's a fabulous story. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Looking at, at, at your websites and things, I mean, the one that stands out to me is um, Scuba Guru. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that, what it is, what it does? Sure. ScubaGuru.com was just a resource website for divers and pros. And that's it. It's, you know, I've, I've curated it. But, you know, people have said that I'm the scuba guru and stuff like that. No, 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 I do not try to be the scuba guru. Although my like Instagram handle and Twitter accounts say the scuba guru because regular scuba guru wasn't wasn't available so i had to put the in front of it which makes me seem like uh, i've got a big head and egotistical and all um couldn't be further from the truth the way i look at it is that there are just amazing gurus in the industry in so many different areas and i am fortunate and blessed to have had a wonderful career in the industry that has put me in connection with some of the top gurus in our industry over decades of my career. And because of that, I was just inspired to be able to make a site where people could get good level knowledge for, um, you know, lower level um, diver level things as well as leadership level. And that's how Scuba Guru started, um, was just basically a blog that had these articles on it. And then the articles started to grow in popularity and then um, an app came along for scuba exams and then podcasts came along and then a second podcast came along. So the brand Scuba Guru has really evolved over time um, and uh, so it still serves as the foundation but all of these other leaping off points are happening right now that's that's quite a network uh, yeah. yeah so how many 
people actually join Scuba Guru or become part of it? Well, you know, it's a it's quite the feeder because of the amount of articles that have been in it. Um, and then, you know, it carries over to a YouTube channel. And then the YouTube channel, I've taken some of those videos and transposed them into articles on Scuba Guru. So there's a lot of linking. There's a lot of um, uh, and searching optimization and so forth. So like one of the top hit ones I have is how to pre-treat a dive mask. Um, this one has been out there for a long time. It's one of the top hits. Um, and that drives people to the site. And when people come to the site, they kind of go, whoa, there's a lot of content here. They get interested in it. I have a little pop-up that's 10 mistakes divers make. People subscribe to that daily. Um, so there's a, there's a network. And then that group that's interested in just kind of cultivating a better knowledge about diving or a particular thing that they're interested in, then they might find more resources on the website, uh, excuse me, on the YouTube page, or they might even go to one of the newest things I have, which is Scuba Guru Academy, where I'm producing online courses. And these courses aren't like uh, what scuba training agencies are doing. It's not an e-learning type thing. They're truly courses that are content that the agencies aren't doing. So it's just higher level, more details of, of certain aspects. So there's a few on there right now, and I got a whole bunch in the queue, and I'm working with some top experts in the industry on some areas that's their calling. And so we're working together to put these Scuba Guru Academy courses together. So that's pretty cool. It's a pretty exciting area to grow into. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can we give an example of one of, one of the things you're covering? Yeah, well, um, you know, I teach at Nova Southeastern University here in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and um, we have a very active academic diving program. And what we're seeing is that there are students, college students, that take our courses, and our courses are very full-bodied. They are long. Some of them are 15 weeks long to get three college credits to take an open water diver course. Even our recreational course is six weeks long, two nights a week for six weeks. So we pour a lot of academic and skill content into our courses. But here's the thing. What we're finding is, is that when somebody matriculates all the way to dive master level and they come to take our dive master course, what we're finding is that it is required within uh, many agencies, but specifically Patty in our case, Patty requires dive masters to learn dive tables and to be able to be tested on them and instructor level to be able to teach them. So although tables are kind of phasing out in our industry, it's still a requirement. Well, we teach them just because we teach a lot at, at the beginning level on up and we also teach computers. We teach both. But here's the thing. We are finding tons of students that are coming to us as advanced divers, now they're coming into our dive master program and they've never once used a dive table. So now it changes how we have to teach dive master. We almost have to take a step back and get heavy into decompression theory, but then also into, into that. Well, I started to check and sure enough, 
tons and tons and tons of instructors are dealing with this same phenomenon, that tables just aren't popular, but then when we get to the leadership levels, they need to know how to use them. And if someone's gonna be a dive master on a boat and the two clients on that boat don't have a computer and they're not gonna share one computer, then you've gotta go by tables to plan that dive accordingly. So all that to say, I decided to come up with a course called Mastering Dive Tables and Decompression Theory. And that course has three different levels of it. You could take it just simply to learn how to do the tables, or you could take it to the next level um, that adds a little bit more to it. Or then like the deluxe version has not only the decompression theory and all that you need to know about M values and you name it all the way into every single type of problem one can do on dive tables are done, including multi-level with, uh, with electronic recreational dive planners. So um, we found that there are many people that say, hey, look, my instructor didn't do a good job teaching me dive tables <laughs> and I need to learn them. Um, and this video series, this online course has helped me immensely. So that's one example of, uh, of one of the courses that are on Scuba Guru Academy. Um, yeah, I was going to say you brought back some, some very fond memories for me because <laughs> the, um, when I started, it was only tables. That's right. And, and basically everything I've done is, is on the scuba level. Yeah. So I remember when computers first came in and I had such a, a distrust of a dive computer. <laughs> I think it took me a couple of years to make that transition from tables to Yeah, computer. exactly. And I haven't looked at a table for such a long, so many years until funnily enough, about six months ago, I found my old tables in the drawer and I took them out and had a look. <laughs> And I didn't know what they were about. I was looking at them thinking, it. how on earth does that work? I um, love it, yeah. It took me ages to, to kind of get back into it. Anyway, they're back in my drawer, and I'm back to the computer, I'm afraid. And uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> which, and as you're saying, I think, I think most people, especially, um, you know, holiday divers, um, the, the recreational scuba, as... as never seen a table. It's true. It's true. And a lot of people are downplaying them. And, um, you know, there really is a very real issue with tables is that people forget. And they are complex and they are hard. So it's also one of the benefits of our online course is that it's always available. So if somebody, you know, purchases a course and then they go, I'm going on a trip and I can't remember my computer broke or whatever. They can literally pull up the course on their phone and hit <laughs> the sections that would be, you know, ideal for, okay, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Okay, great. So yeah, that's, uh, that's something that we all deal with. If you're not doing it all the time, that's a, that's an easy one to forget. Yeah, exactly. And the funny, the funny thing about, or the nice thing about tables is that it does give you a more in-depth understanding of what's happening underwater, you know, with with decompression times, saturation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's nice to have gone through that. It's it's really interesting to hear that 
Um, Because I didn't realize tables were actually still taught. Mm -hmm. Great. Some agencies don't. Um, And so, you know, they just prefer not to and just make the computers a, a requisite. But, you know, I live down here in South Florida. We are on dive boats all the time. You know, almost every weekend of the semester, we have either academic dives, training dives, or club dives for our dive program. And we bounce around to different boats and everything. The Keys, West Palm, it doesn't matter. We see the same thing all the time. We see divers that have computers that have died. We see divers that have low battery indications on their computers. Not, not our program, I'm saying other divers on the boat. And they go, well, I think I'll, I'll just use your computer today and we'll buddy up and we'll just share one computer. Nope, that's not allowed. It's not appropriate in our industry to do that. Um, And then there's people that say, well, I'll just bring a timing device with me and I won't go below a certain depth. That's not how you plan a dive properly either. So, you know, when we look at the need for them, it makes sense. And where do they turn? They turn to those dive masters and captains on the boat to help them negotiate what their bottom time and plan would be using tables if they've forgotten them. So there still is, and I believe there always will be, a planning necessity for tables and a use for tables, although it is uh, getting rarer all the time. But, you know, as you know, if one goes down, do you have a backup? And then do you prioritize the purchase? And do rental packages often come with dive computers? So it is a very complex uh, arena there, um, to which we like to teach them just so that students understand that, hey, there is an alternative to the computer, but we also strongly promote the computer over dive tables. Yeah, fantastic. No, it's so good to hear. I'm just looking again at, 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 your, at your site. Um, I mean, I just basically put a pin and it's something interesting. Uh, over 40 professional certi- certifications with over 15 diving agencies. I mean, where do you find the time? You're still a young man. Have you done all this? No, it all started when I was young. So because I grew up in an academic environment at the University of Florida Academic Diving Program, which at the time was the largest university training program in the world. And um, when I did that, and that's 1986, so uh, 88, excuse me, so a long time ago. Um, And so when we look at that, that program, we were multi-agency certified and we did CMAS, C-M-A-S, we did YMCA, we did NAWI, um, then eventually we did PADI. Um, So we were multi-agency and what we did was we took the highest standard in any category of the agencies and then we called it the University of Florida Academic Diving Program course. So it could have been open water diver, it could have been open water two, it could have been advanced. And we just took the hardest things from each agency, pooled them together to make one super course. Um, So that's how I started the path of multi-agency certification um, and then multi-agency instruction. And then it just kind of grew from there. Yeah, cool. and, And you started diving at 12? Yes. And did you ever stop? You just carried right on through. 
carried right on through. Yeah. And um, so, you know, at the age of 12 was when I tried it. Then I got certified only a couple years later, then got advanced certification right away, worked at a grocery store so that I could save up money for scuba equipment. Um, we mostly did beach dives because here in Fort Lauderdale, we're kind of like the beach capital of the world here in Lauderdale by the sea, which is literally two miles from my house right here to be at the ocean. And so to do nice beach dives um, is, is just what the lifestyle is like down here. So I got a lot of that under my belt. Then I went to the University of Florida. I had to drop a golf class because I had a scheduling conflict. And, but I still needed the two credit hours from that golf class. And here was a table with a big dive flag in front of it and a bunch of guys and gals sitting there and they, they welcome me and they say, hey, are you, a, are you a diver by chance? And I said, yes, I am. I'm an advanced diver. And they said, well, why don't you take our assistant instructor class? And I said, is it two credit hours? And they said, yes, it is. And I went, yes, I'll take it. So then I, be, I began my journey in the world of academic diving right then. Um, and it was painful, Jeff, because coming from the dive shops of South Florida and then going to the world's largest academic dive training program at a university was a big jump. The first night of class, we sat in the room and the other instructors were there along with the program director. And he's reading the list of everything to kick off the semester. And he looks and he says, who are my two paddy divers in the room? And I raise my hand and another kid raises his hand and the whole room erupts in laughter. And I was just like, oh, oh the gall, what, you know? How, how arrogant, what is going on here? Why is everybody laughing? And the director just said, well, tonight we're gonna give you a pre-assessment exam to see how much you actually know. I scored a 33% on that pre-assessment exam because again, they had a higher standard of teaching. And once I recognized like how much I didn't know, then it became this, wonderful journey of, well, wait a minute, I should know that. And that's how it was with my skills. You know, I never did a mass clear on a breath hold. And that's how they did it. You know, it's not with scuba and you do your mass clears, which I had only ever done. But the first weeks of training there were three weeks on skin diving alone to master that before going on to scuba. And with that, you had to go to the bottom of the pool, take your mask off, clear it, put it back on. I couldn't do that. <laughs> so that's what set me on a journey to really pursue excellence in diving. And whether that was academic, whether that was skill-based, risk management, you name it. A culture of excellence is what I started with once I became a pro in 1988. And that has been really my passion and my vision and my heart and soul for diving is the culture of excellence that comes from teaching at a higher level. With regard to yourself, do you, do you think you've reached the peak of that excellence or is there, is there a further to go? Oh, not only in yourself, but in the technology that we're using to dive. Oh, that's an awesome question. The answer is a resounding no. To have any good culture 
and workplace culture is a, an area that I specialize in and I speak in as well professionally to businesses and corporations to talk about culture because I've been blessed with the opportunity to be in and develop cultures um, all along the way. And so as a 19-year-old being, you know, teaching to auditoriums of 200 plus students at 19 and then doing a sport that is high risk that create that needs a safety culture but yet it needs to also be fun and adventurous um, these type of cultures how do you blend that together anyhow this is an area that i that i speak on and one of the things that is important in any culture a workplace culture that tries to get performance mastery is that there is an absolute ongoing need for betterment. And so within our dive program, within you know, what I've set up here at Nova Southeastern University, we have shift reports at the end of every pool session, at the end of every dive trip, and at the end of every, every club dive, classroom sessions, and we give an accounting of what took place. Any issues with students, equipment, environment, weather delays, blah, blah, blah. But then we get into the always the last question is, what can we do to improve? That question is done in every debriefing amongst the staff and the dive masters and the instructors. And we literally talk at the end of every day, every dive, every class. And we say, what are the issues? What can we do to improve? And I'm telling you, Jeff, I've got some of the most remarkable college students. These, these co-eds are amazing. And here they are, 18, 19, 20 years old, and they are coming up with strategies that I'm going, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. We are going to adopt that. And so every semester we get better, and that's how we reflect on it. And I am humble with my staff to say, if I'm doing something that you're going, um, you need to mention it. And I'm always saying, look, after 30 years of instruction, 33 years of teaching scuba, I am not where I want to be. We use the motto that is in our tenants. It's actually hanging in our, on our, uh, in our locker and in our room, um, office, office, excuse me, that say your next class is always your best class. And if we keep thinking that way as dive professionals, then we don't settle. We don't just read slates and do our stuff. We actually try to make every class better. I love it. I love that ethos. That's, and With all your skills uh, and energy and, and all that knowledge uh, and enthusiasm with yourselves and, and students, do you get involved uh, in marine conservation at all? Yeah, well, at Nova Southeastern University, one of the great things is that we are the academic diving program and we are producing the skill sets and the diving certifications for the students to become AAUS scientific divers with our marine sciences graduate program. 
at the Guy Harvey Oceanographic Institute. So that is part of Nova Southeastern University. We have a huge oceanographic program, a great graduate school on marine sciences and marine studies. Um, and so we're helping produce those scientific divers and they go there and now they can conduct underwater research and they go through the whole AAUS regimen to become scientific divers. Because of that, we then look at how can we be and embrace what they're about to do in the scientific realm, but they're not yet scientific divers. So the areas that we look at that we do within our club dives and within some of our classes is that we will do partnerships with like Project Baseline. And so we're now looking at grants to get the cameras to do the Project Baseline to, to get baseline data to then show over time how this takes place. Um, REEF, uh, the REEF Environmental Education Foundation in the Florida Keys. Um, we also have done lionfish, which is, I guess, part of reef as well, but lionfish eradication, and then fish counts. And so to put all of those things in place that we've done here and there over the years has been really neat. Plus, our students at the university get experiential credit units to do volunteer activities that coincide with some of the mission work on NOVA. And so we have done many reef sweeps and many reef cleanups as well as beach cleanups. So our students that can't yet dive, they'll be on the beach cleaning it up. And our students that are divers, they're in the water on the reef right off the shore cleaning it up. So we do a lot of those different things and kind of mix it up in the citizen science side until they can become actual scientific divers. And then they can do the AAUS curriculum and actually do research. Uh, that's fantastic. So, uh, I mean, it's so important just to get younger people involved in all this yes. before it's too late. Exactly. Because um, it is all disappearing uh, frighteningly fast. And uh, certainly for what I see, there's a lot of enthusiasm out there and there's a lot of work being done, but still the oceans are going downwards and uh i i look constantly to find what the solution is uh, right. and it's it, there are so many aspects to it uh, right. it's hard to put put your finger on it well i think you know it does take people that have a passion and rise it up you know you had megan on the on your episode you know megan's amazing and she's just got a heart and a passion for it Lyndon um, you know there's so many people that this is part of who they are and you, you, you almost can't help but be it because once you are uh, afflicted with the passion of the underwater world because we go there and we experience it and it's a sensual experience it gets in your soul and you can't help but walk out of the water and be an ambassador and I think that that's where it is, is that there's people that really the underwater world resonates so powerfully with them that when they, when they see the travesties that are taking place, it moves them to think differently in calls to action. And that's why I love, you know, what Megan came out with. And, you know, she's been a conservationist for years, but then to do 
the, the imperfect conservationist, it's a brilliant way to say you can do this too. Everybody can. And as long as you're an, amb- you, you, you're an underwater explorer, you're an ambassador. So we all need to be thinking that same way. Yeah, absolutely. She, she was very good. Um, uh, uh, totally inspirational on, on, on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to change the subject hugely for a moment, um, forensic diving accident investigator. What does that entail? Well, here, uh, here in the US, we have a show called CSI. Are you familiar with it? Is it over in the UK as well? Yeah, yeah we're, we're, yes. Um, okay. We've had it for years. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for my a, ignorance. I don't know if our shows show. make it over there. We don't get BBC shows over here. We have to like subscribe okay. to channels to get them. <laughs> but anyhow, um, so uh, forensic dive accident investigation is basically the CSI of the underwater world. Um, you know, when you've got, when you've got things like, uh, public safety departments, um, those are usually law enforcement or fire rescue that have a dive team and they're going in and underwater and they're usually looking for something. And sometimes it could be, uh, a weapon thrown off of a bridge. It could be stolen goods thrown into a lake. It could be a hijacked car run off into a canal. Um, um, you know, people that went for a walk and never returned and is their body over here. So there's a real dark side to what's called public safety diving. And I did that in my time in in law enforcement and pre-law enforcement and so forth. But there's another side and that's the forensic dive accident investigation side that is for our industry. And that's specifically what I did was to investigate cases that came up where it was during supervision or classes or training. And so that's where you often see lawsuits. And because of that, we have, scuba professionals have professional liability insurance that if there were to be a claim and an incident that might go to a legal uh, case, then an investigation is done. And so a forensic dive accident investigator would use diving industry knowledge and standards knowledge of what it means to properly supervise a dive and properly train divers with multi-agency standards. And then also a law enforcement type investigative approach that knows how to question and interrogate, um, but to really kind of flesh out what's going on and look at it from many angles. So luckily I had both of those under my belt uh, with the law enforcement side and a multi-agency side, high levels of, of risk management knowledge as a director of a, a national training agency as well. So all of that together really kind of came to, to be the perfect storm to do forensic diving accident investigation and to investigate incidents and to see what really happened here? Was there uh, an issue? Was there a fault? Uh, Do we need to have some type of action that the training agency needs to know about because a standard was violated? Or in the pathology in the investigation, it revealed that yes, this person at depth possibly had a cardiac event because 
they had hypertension, they were on medication for it, and they didn't get a doctor's clearance to dive. And okay, so it was probably more on that, right? So there's this whole uh, area of investigation that goes through that. And that's what forensic dive accident investigation is. Fascinating. My goodness. What's your success rate? Um, I don't, you, you can't really say success. It's the dark side of our sport, Jeff, and it means that something went wrong if we are called to a scene or an investigation. And that is never good. And so um, what takes place is that um, you wind up really having to dig and that's uncomfortable for many people, myself included. So as we say, it's the dark side of the sport. It really casts a negative shadow on things that can go wrong. But it also is a very solid reminder that we're humans. Humans make mistakes. And so that can be where, you know, dive professionals have an issue that goes unnoticed and a student has a problem or something like that to the divers themselves making mistakes and they're not telling their instructor or they're not telling their buddy. Um, and then there's this awareness that it doesn't matter. The human body is not meant to be underwater in the first place. Nothing about us is aquatic anymore. We are terrestrial. Our skin is terrestrial. The hair terrestrial, eyes calibrated for air, ears calibrated for air. Our nasal passages don't just shut off once we go underwater. I mean, there's so many things that physiologically we're not capable of surviving underwater. So we're just doing it with technology and techniques. And when technology or techniques go awry, it shows our frailty to live and exist underwater. So it's a it's a good reminder to understand what we're doing should be taken seriously because it can take a life. Um, so again, it's sobering, it's dark, and um, there's really not a success rate. It's not fun to find out if a instructor violated a standard. It's not fun to find out that a student hid their health condition on a medical exam. No one wants the outcome or the aftermath of either of those. Um, does that mean that I did my job successfully? If I uncovered those things, yes, it does. But it's still, <laughs> it's still a big bummer <laughs> when it happens. So, yes, of course, success rate was the was the the, the wrong word to use. Right. <laughs> I got what you were saying, though. I understood. <laughs> yeah, I feel really bad now. <laughs> don't worry about it the, so all of that information that you are discovering all all of those cases that you're going through all the mistakes that you are learning from uh i don't see it out there in a domain where the majority of divers can actually learn from what you have learned through your investigations Am I wrong? Is it, is it out there? Is it, is it there for people to see? Or does it need to go out there so people can see it? It's, it's, it's um, out there in kind of limited capacity. Um, there's a couple places that if people really want to dig into that and um, 
explore that a little bit more. There was a column done um, with, uh, with Scuba Diver Magazine. I think it was actually with Divers Alert Network prior to that. It's called Lessons for Life. Um, Eric Douglas, I believe the author Eric Douglas, good friend, great guy. Um, he writes novels um, in diving, but he also did this, um, this column. And I want to say before him was Mike Ainge. He's also a forensic dive accident investigator, really good guy. The two of them, and I'm sorry if I can't remember which one did it first or if they had a slightly different title of the article, but both of them, and if you do some internet research, you can, you can find it, Eric Douglas, Mike Ainge, A-N-G-E, Lessons for Life. These are actual cases where they've changed the names of people and they've presented it in, here's what was the problem, here's what was the outcome, and here's what was kind of a pathology. Here's where the first problem led to the end result. And you see this, this web of issues that take place. I think that's a great resource for people that are interested. Another is for folks to um, join Divers Alert Network and become a member of Divers Alert Network. Every year, they produce the Dan Diving Incident and Accident Report. And it goes back a couple years because they have to have time to research and grab the data. But in that, they'll show statistics and pie charts and graphs and everything, but then they actually will show cases. And their cases lay out what happened in this accident, in this incident, fatality, decompression, sickness, you name it. So that's a wonderful resource as well. And then finally is um, Gareth Locke. He does the human factors um, and um, the, the human diver. He's got a course, an online course, a great book. And he talks about and really researches where problems go wrong in diving with humans, how we will make one little mistake and that one little mistake can happen for years. But then the stars align a certain way. And that one mistake leads to a second that leads to a third. And that third leads to a terminal event, such as an incident, an accident, or a fatality. So Gareth Locke does a fantastic training on this, online training um, as well. So those are some great resources for people that might be interested in learning from the mistakes that have taken place. And then, like I said, I've got um, on my website, a downloadable free PDF that is 10 mistakes divers make and how to prevent them. And these are my top 10 mistakes that I have seen in forensics and in teaching and as a national training agency director, watching incident reports come across my desk. Um, those are the top 10 ones. And some of them are really good that people don't, don't think about. I'm going to have a look at it as soon as, as soon as we finished here. It sounds great. Yeah. I, I love prevention. Prevention is, is so much easier. Yes. It? Yes. My Amen. Yeah. I, we always say that if you can prevent a rescue from happening, then congratulations, you're a rescuer. You know, we'll give you <laughs> yes. awards, we'll give you pats on the back, we'll give you all kinds of acknowledgement because you just prevented an accident from happening. Yeah, absolutely.
Tell you, it's been lovely talking to you. Um, uh, been a real pleasure. Uh, just as, as a, a, a final thing, um, what's the future hold for you, do you think? What would you like the future to hold for you now? Well, right now, you know, there's a couple couple things that are uh, that are very present. First is that, you know, I believe that, you know, I, in the industry, um, I try to be a voice of what it means to have a culture of excellence. And I think that that is something that you hear many dive professionals lamenting about, is that... Um, we're seeing that training is kind of coming backwards, that things are getting easier, that things are getting cheaper and dumbed down. And there's all kinds of words that professionals use and they're not very uh, pretty. But basically what we're seeing is that the caliber of the diver is not really what it once was. And the caliber of the instructor is not what it once was. And I'm not talking going back to the 60s where we need to do push-ups on the pool deck wearing our scuba tanks. Nope. I'm talking about good, solid skills, skill variations, skill repeats. And when people just approach pool sessions and they try to get it down into as small a time that they can get through their skills, that's a problem. So I think my mission is to bring an awareness of people that if you want to explore the underwater world, do it with solid education and training. Have great instructors. It's not about the agency. It's about the caliber of the instructor. And people that really are passionate about teaching one to be comfortable underwater. Again, this is an environment we're not meant to be in, right? So to be comfortable and proficient is the highest goal that we need to have because when we're comfortable and proficient, then the diving is absolutely more fun. I do not like seeing divers that are still nervous after they got their card and they're weeks, fresh divers, but they were so briefly trained that they're not comfortable and they're floundering all over the reef. They're killing coral. They can't equalize. They use their air up just like that. And they think that's what diving's about. And guess what? They quit the sport. That to me is, is a tra tragedy. And we can't have that. So my call to action in the industry is and always has been and will continue to be, we need to up our game in the world of teaching and education. And really having a culture of excellence at a dive center that involves education, safety, etc. And then on the other side of the house is taking those same skill sets and presenting them to other populations like the business world that sits and goes, I can use information like this on what it means to have a culture of excellence in my workplace. So that's an, another area of, of growth that just is kind of organically coming from all of the scuba uh, excellence and, and, and growth here. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say is, uh, is my final parting remarks on that. <laughs> yeah, well, so, uh, such an important thing to say. I mean, you, you hit home with me as you were talking. It's um, over the past few years, I've been teaching um, underwater videography yes. uh, to film wildlife. And 
you know, the minimum requirement basically is that you're an advanced open water diver. And I'm so sad to say that I get 10, 15, maybe slightly more percent of students who have come over the years that are afraid of being underwater. They're nervous, their buoyancy is wrong, they're fighting. Yes. They're, and I think, where did you train? Um, let's, let's learn a few basics before we go any further. And yeah. uh, so I, 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 I applaud wholeheartedly what you're saying, most definitely. Well, thank you. Thank you. And that's all it takes is to see it and yeah. shake your head and go, oh, it's so sad. If you, only, if you only were more comfortable, if you only were better trained, you would have a, you know, a whole new world. And especially in your arena where a person has to focus on another technical skill set, right? Photography and framing and what they have to do or videography. And they don't have those base funda- foundational skills down, they're not going to do well with the imaging. So no, not, I agree not with all. you. I and and not you. only the, the imaging, it's, it's what they're missing, the, the fun. You know, they'll go over a reef and they're panicking, looking at the air and they're not comfortable. And they're, they're, they're missing everything that's, yep. that's going on around them, which is such a shame. Such You're a shame. right. Yeah, cool. Take, let, we'll wind it up there. And uh, once again, I must say, absolute pleasure talking to you. And um, Likewise. I'll, say, I'll say goodbye for now. Thanks so much, Jeff. I really appreciate the invite and I love all the work you're doing too. Oh, that's cool. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers. Bye for now. Cheers.